the English poet uh, Francis Thompson led a very turbulent life uh, which oscillated uh, between being a brilliant writer and a homeless addict around Charing Cross uh, here in London. But Thompson always knew he was on the run from God. Uh, in fact, Thompson spent most of his life wrestling between belonging uh, to Jesus and living for him and living as a runaway sinner. When Thompson finally gave in to God, he wrote a famous poem called The Hound of Heaven. The poem pictures God as a persistent hound with loving feet who, who runs after Thompson while he's fleeing from him. And here are a few lines from that famous uh, poem. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own ma mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter. Up vista ropes I sped, down titanic glooms of cosmic fears. For those strong feet that followed, that followed after. Thompson tried to outrun God's mercy, but in the end, he found that you cannot outrun the amazing grace of God. God always wins. We are currently going through this book of Jonah. And Jonah is a prophet living in northern Israel, Gath Ephah. And he is living eight centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ. The king on the throne is King Jeroboam II. And over the last two Sundays, we have seen how God has called Jonah to go to Nineveh, only for Jonah to run away. But amazingly, God brings him back. First, he engineers his storm. As Jonah gets on this boat, he tries to run away to go to sunny Tashish in southern Spain. God engineers this storm that comes and threatens the ship. And the sailors, the mariners, they are forced eventually to agree with Jonah to chuck him in the sea. And we saw last week how Jonah now is struggling for his life down there. And, and God appoints this great fish as a, really a vehicle of mercy to rescue Jonah from that fish, from, from that sinking uh, storm down, well, sinking down there for his life. The fish comes not as judgment. The fish comes as a vehicle of mercy to bring Jonah back, to save him from dying. And we saw how Jonah leaves that fish now as a changed man, if you like, after his three nights, in the, three nights break in the fish submarine, Jonah comes out refreshed and bursting with thanks to God. Last week, Jonah taught us that God is using all of our mess to make us like him. So we must be thankful if you like, chapter 1 of Jonah teaches us that God is the unstoppable God. And therefore, we must fear him. That's what we learned in the first sermon. The second sermon shows us that God is using all the mess in our lives to make us like him. So how should we respond to that? We must be thankful. Today we are in chapter 3. Our Jonah has experienced the persistent mercy of God. 
How will Jonah now respond to that amazing mercy of God? That is the question we are exploring today. It's a question in the front of you in your outline. It says, how should we respond to the persistent mercy of God in our own lives? Well, let us resume this exciting adventure with Jonah 2,700 years ago and see how Jonah answers that question for us. The first observation uh, we can make here, the first uh, point we see truth uh, in these verses, first of all, is that God doesn't give up on anyone. God doesn't give up on anyone. Jonah is out of the belly of the fish. Now, he's probably resting at home and enjoying non-fish dinners with Mrs. Jonah. Then guess who shows up? Look at this one. Then the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Jonah the second time. Now, this is the first time God has spoken to Jonah since he ran away from God. All of the time, God has just been working in the background, engineering things to bring him back. This is the first time Jonah is going to hear God speak to him since he ran away. So Jonah must be dreading what God is about to say to him. What will God say to me? I mean, I've let him down so much. And he's been so merciful to me. What will he say to me now? Listen to what God says to Jonah. Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it the message that I tell you. Wow. Is that all? There's no mention here of Jonah's terrible antics before God. No mention of how much he has had God's feeling by running away from him. There is also nothing here like, this is your last chance, Jonah. This is your last chance, so pull up your socks. If you mess up this time, you are done. You know, sometimes the word of God reveals to us more about God's character, but what he doesn't say than what he does say. And in this case, God's silence to Jonah on what he's done speaks volumes. It's as if God is saying to him, look, I am giving you another opportunity to be with me. God is saying to Jonah, look, I am not giving up on you. I love you. I am here for you. That's all God wants to say to Jonah. The God of Jonah doesn't give up on his people. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus with a life that reads like a walking scandal. You know, we are all actually just one decision from messing up. We are all just one decision from being on the street. We are all just one decision from a major scandal. And maybe your life has been a constant scandal like that. And you're wondering, does God love me enough not just to forgive me, but also to use me for his glory? Yes. Yes. That's the message here. Ask Jonah. Ask Peter. In Christ, if you are not dead, you are not done. And even if you are dead, you are still with the Lord. God is still at work because the God of Jonah is persistent in mercy. And this should challenge all of us here as a family of God. How do we treat people among us who mess up? 
Are we growing into a community, a kingdom of mercy that we already are in Jesus? Are we a church where a brother or sister can mess up and still know they will receive mercy in Christ, not running gossip? But notice here that it is not just Jonah who benefits from the persistent mercy of God. Look at verse 2 again. Arise, go to Nineveh. God still has Nineveh on his mind. He still wants Jonah to go there to warn that evil city. And though verse 2 says call out against it, as it was said also in verse 1 of chapter 1, the same words, God still has in mind here that this warning that he's going to bring to Nineveh will somehow perhaps move their hearts in repentance. God has not forgotten about Nineveh. And we saw in chapter 1 that Nineveh is a superpower capital of the Assyrian Empire that chews and spits out nations around it with incredible ease. Neom will later call it what? The city of blood. These are vile people. We would be happy for God to simply press the delete button. But God has a large heart. He is sending Jonah to warn them so that they may turn to him. Friends, maybe you have relatives and friends who do not know Jesus. And sometimes you feel like giving up on them, ever becoming believers. Listen, God is not giving up on them, so don't give up on them. Keep on praying for them. And keep in living in such a way that they will see more clearly the love of God and the Lord in His sovereign will. He may just surprise you, as we'll see in a moment. I know this from my own life. I grew up, some of you may know this, I grew up in a home with my father, who had a second wife. And my father wasn't really interested in going to church at all. He used to drink and do all sorts of things. I would, he would never set foot in church at all. Living there in the remote part uh, of northern Zambia in Chilenge, he would never do that. All his life, he just never wanted church. And my mother was the opposite. She was faithful. She prayed every day for my father. And actually now I was reflecting on this. I never even heard once my mother even kind of say, you know, you're so bad, you must come to church. No, raising ten children as she did, the five of us who are home and with among other relatives, she would simply get up and get us to go to Sunday school, we used to attend UCZ, and she would get us to go to, to Sunday school, I was a member of the boys' brigade. Every day my mom would pray. She prayed for my father. And then in the course of time, God's, the hand of heaven, God's persistent work, started working in the life of, of, of my father. It was very interesting actually that when you spoke to my father about my mother, my father always had wonderful things to say. He says, yeah, she's a godly woman. But he himself would never come to church at all. But the righteousness, the, the, the love for Christ in my mother was so powerful that it was so clear. And just a general obedience. In fact, you know, family relatives used to tell my mother that you know, she could just simply divorce my father because she had so many grands. My grandmother would arrive and even suggest that as well. 
But my mother didn't. That's not a comment about divorce or anything else like that. It's just the fact that my mother decided that she wanted to honor God in this rather painful cross while sticking there. And so God started working. My father eventually, as we moved here, uh, my father started attending church, and, and a Baptist church in Woosden Green, and became regular. He gave his life to Christ. And then he was there at home now when we were living in Woosden Green. You opened the Bible, he speak to you about scripture things. My father died as a follower of Christ. And we saw his transformation in all his life. And even that marriage, he had broken it off completely. I can say that this, we should never give up on people from our own experience. But we know we have something sure. The word of God shows that God doesn't give up on anyone. And I know all of you, some of you, the way God has worked in your own life. And you've seen God working or giving up on you. So let's not give up on others in our own life. God has placed in our own life. Because God may just surprise you. As he certainly surprised me growing up. And he certainly has surprised you in your own coming to faith in Christ. Now some may hear that God doesn't give up on anyone. And love God for it. Others may think the opposite. They may think to themselves, well, God doesn't give up on anyone. I have all the time in the world then. No, you don't. Because here is the second truth from Jonah. The first truth is that God doesn't give up on anyone. The second truth is, but giving up on God is dangerous. Giving up on God is dangerous. Now we see that's our second point, giving up on God is dangerous. Jonah hears from God and this time he obeys. Look at this three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of of the Lord. <laughs> you can hear the heavenly drums beating with excitement. You know, Jonah first time ran away. Now he's obeyed the Lord and he's getting up and he's going on his way to Nineveh. The angels must be dancing for joy and excited at this radical obedience now from Jonah. Because where Jonah is going, it's not easy. It's not easy. He has a huge task before him. Look, look how verse 3 continues. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Now prior to the late 1800s, Bible critics laughed at this verse because there was no evidence of a city so large that it would take three days to walk. But when archaeologists discovered the ruins of Nineveh in late 1800s, the laughing stopped. We now know at this time of Jonah, the inner part of Nineveh has a circumference of eight miles. We also know now that the entire metropolitan area of Nineveh is 60 miles with a hundred feet wall around it. Nineveh at Jonah's time is surrounded by 1,500 towers, all 200 feet tall. Nineveh is an exceedingly great city. By any standard, and the archaeology proves it. One new to God again. 
And he strikes fear. Nineveh strikes fear in the hearts of its enemies. But Jonah has come with a fearful message. Look at verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city. And going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, you can picture Jonah walking through the city. Uh, he's probably holding a staff and carrying, uh, if you like, a bottle of Nineveh lemonade to quench his thirst as he, as he makes his way through Nineveh. He's making his way through the streets, the markets, the restaurants. And he's shouting out this simple and clear message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, Jonah's message probably has caught the attention of the local authorities. And there may be some who are asking him, do you want to be arrested for this? But Jonah simply repeats the same message. Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. As a crowd gathers around him, some are probably asking, like those mariners were asking, what is your occupation? What people are you? And Jonah is able to say, I am a prophet of the God of Israel. So listen to me very carefully. Yet 40 days, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. As the first day ends, the people are in no doubt that judgment is coming. God doesn't give up on anyone. But giving up on God is dangerous business. We should note clearly here that God is threatening to destroy directly people he has created in his image and loves dearly. And he's threatening to do that due to their sin. We should note that very clearly and soberly. It is a terrifying reminder of how much God hates sin. He hates it so much that all who reject his persistent mercy ultimately face destruction at his very hands. Now we all have a tendency to think God cannot destroy people who have rejected him. But we know here and in other parts of the Bible that God is serious about destroying those who reject him. He is merciful and he is also just. Maybe you are not a follower of Jesus this morning. You haven't committed your life to him. Do you understand the danger you are in this morning? God is merciful and holy. But your rejection of that mercy invites the full danger, the full wrath, the full force of God's wrath. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. If you do not turn to Jesus this morning, you face eternal punishment. Sadly, many people, including followers of Jesus, do not take this seriously. Including followers of Jesus do not take that seriously. 
You know, when we hear about God's wrath like this, we say, oh, here goes the hellfire sermons again. When is the pastor going to tell us more about God's love so that you know, we can live positively as we like to think? You see, the idea of God punishing our family and friends forever who have rejected Jesus frightens us. So when we hear of God's judgment, we dismiss it mentally. We read it like this, but we dismiss it. But don't dismiss it. We need to face up to the pain that people we love and care about who do not know Jesus are in grave danger. It should make us weep in prayer for them every day, friends. Now, we cannot convert them. Only God can do that. But we must make every effort to pray for them. And most importantly, we must live lives that make the grace of Christ attractive to them. You won't believe how many people I meet every day who come up to me and say, you know, I I really want my family, my dad, my sister to be saved. And then you look at their attitudes. They are not demonstrating the love of Christ where they live. And they are praying for God to work. Friends, let's be serious. If we're serious about judgment, we have to ourselves surrender to God so that God can use us in our homes, in our workplaces. If we're serious about this. We must live lives that are attractive. So that, as Peter says, that when non-believers see that, they can ask us. They can ask us. As my father asked my mother, perhaps one day, you know, God has been through with you when I've been such a terrible husband. I think I'll give him a, I'll give him a go. I think I'll come to church. I think. And he did. And he did. And we know that if, if, if non-believers hear the good news of Jesus and respond to it, we can be sure they will receive the mercy of God. Because this is our third truth. Truth number one. God doesn't give up on anyone. Truth number two. But giving up on God is dangerous. Third truth. Those who turn to God receive mercy. Receive mercy. Mercy. Jonah's preaching has struck a chord. Look at verse 5 and 6. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. A revival has broken out in Nineveh. All the shopping malls and restaurants are now closed and it's fasting time. It's time to get right with God. Wherever you look, people are praying and asking God to forgive them in Nineveh. They are all dressed in sackcloth and covered in ashes and they are being led by the king. Look at that, verse 7 to 8. And the king issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast 
heard no flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from his violence, from the violence that is in his hands. And the king is not leaving any stone unturned. Even the animals are not spared. Now, now, now we may think this is cruel for us. We may think, what's going on here? Even the animals now, they're joining in. But you see, the king is saying, we must put God first. You see, these animals are their livelihoods. This is no small thing. This is their livelihood. And the king is saying, look, we must put God first before any financial or economic priorities in our lives. Friends, this is full surrender. They are surrendering not only their hearts, they are also surrendering their wallets to God, so to speak. And amazingly, the king knows that God cannot be bought. It is all down to his grace. Look at verse 9. This is what the king says. He says, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king is depending on the grace of God alone. You see, true repentance always places itself at the mercy of God. And when we do that, God forgives us. Look at this thing. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God has forgiven them because he is persistently merciful. But if you are reading your Bibles as we should be reading with our eyes wide open, even on a Sunday morning, we should be very clear that here there is a difficult question this generosity and mercy of God raises. Where is the justice of God in allowing murderers in Nineveh go free like this? Where is it? Yes, God is merciful, but how does he allow this to happen? Where is his justice? Well, the answer, that, the, the answer is in a man who comes eight centuries later. His name is Jesus, and on his account, the debt of Nineveh here, this forgiveness that God gives Nineveh is paid on full at the cross. Here is what Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome says this. He says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23 to 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation for, by His blood to be received by faith. Then Paul had this. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over what? Former sins. He was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of those who has put faith in Jesus. You see, Paul is saying the mercy of God in the Old Testament and no other, if not just the Nineveh, but no other people in the Old Testament, God forgave them on the future basis of the coming of Christ. 
It's like this, you see, every time, you know, God forgives someone in the Old Testament, whether through them bringing animal sacrifices to him, or in this one of acts of generosity as he shows to Nineveh. He wrote himself an IOU. The debt is to God. So here they come, Nineveh, they repent. God says, off you go, I've forgiven you. Then he writes himself an IOU. And these are you, of course, through the animal sacrificial system, we're also stacking up. There are so many of them. How will God justify forgiving all these people? Well, they all you, all of that was collected, collected. Massive stack up. And God took those IOUs and he placed them on Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. All the penalty is laid on him. God can now say those people like David that sinned and sinned and God forgave them. He lets them go based on what Jesus has done. He did that based on that future sacrifice of Christ. Friends, here is the good news. There are no more IOUs to God. You and I can experience the persistent mercy right now because we live on this side of Calvary. Jesus has already come. And the good news of Jesus is that God has put all your sins on the cross. Yes, you are in grave danger, but if you turn to Jesus, you will find mercy in him. And all you must do is put your trust in the precious blood of Christ. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we have the most wonderful news to share to the world. This stuff should get us excited. Because this is really amazing. Jesus really serves. And how should we do, what should we do with this amazing message? What do we do with it? Well, there's only one thing we do. We should do what Jonah does in Nineveh. We must tell everyone. Tell everyone. That's what we learn here. We must tell everyone. And that's our final point. We must tell everyone. Point number one, God doesn't give up on anyone. Point number two, but giving up on God is dangerous. And yet, point number three, those who turn to God receive mercy. So if those who turn to God receive mercy, what should we do? The final point, we must tell everyone. Now you see, Jonah chapter three comes after Jonah chapter two. Yes, obvious point, of course. But we, we, that's important because in Jonah chapter 2, we see Jonah receiving mercy from God. And Jonah chapter 3 is Jonah responding to the mercy of God. And what does Jonah do? God commands him to go to Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? He goes. Look at verse 2 again. Yeah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it the message that I tell you. And we are told there. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. You see, friends, all followers of Jesus have experienced the mercy of God. And Jesus is now commanding us this morning to tell everyone about it. Isn't that what the Lord said in Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The command is to tell everyone, including difficult places like Nineveh. Now, friends, it is not easy for Jonah to go to Nineveh. We learned that in chapter 1. He is risking rejection and even death. But God commands Jonah to go there. Notice he's not saying prayer about Nineveh. He's not saying go on WhatsApp and share a few status updates about Nineveh. He says go to Nineveh physically. The lesson of Jonah is that we cannot point sinners to God unless we spend time with them. Unless we are there with them physically. It is risky to be with sinners such as the Ninevites. But it is the gospel. We cannot share Jesus simply by distant prayers and financial giving. We must start building redemptive relationships with people we avoid. Rude colleagues at work, drug addicts, the homeless, gay people, atheists, Young people from broken homes. Foul-mouthed neighbors. That's the gospel. And you must start praying for opportunities for these people to invade your life. To enter your homes. You must start praying for these people to come in contact with them because these people will never set foot in church. And you must pray for you to enter their homes. I know this scares us. I mean, I looked at this verse and I wept when I looked at it. Because deep down, we do not want to be that person who invites such people in our lives and talk Jesus to them. But let's just be honest, we don't want to do that. We, we want things to happen naturally, we say. Naturally, just naturally. Friends, there's nothing natural about what Jonah is doing here. This is all supernatural. And Jonah's message here is clear. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It is urgent. When Jesus comes in this world, what does he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. We must tell everyone because our message is urgent. And we must risk rejection for God. Can I ask you an honest question? Where is God asking you to risk rejection for him? You know, when was the last time you risked rejection for Jesus? What is that place God is asking you to take him, but you are afraid to go? What is your Nineveh? Friend, obey the Lord and go to Nineveh. Stop going to Tashish. He wants you in Nineveh. And you know what I said in the first sermon? Sorry, I'm coming up here. I said, it does not matter how great you can do for God in Tashish. If God is saying go to Nineveh, you're disobeying him if you're still in Tashish. And I said, it doesn't matter how many good things I may be doing here in Bexley. If God wants me to be somewhere else, 
I am still disobeying the Lord. The command here is clear. You don't need to pray about it. Go to Nineveh. Go to those people where God wants you to risk rejection. And friends, this truth must also shape how we grow together as a fellowship. Our activities must focus on taking the gospel out as a church. To people who never set foot here. We must ask ourselves continuously as we think about the church vision and other things pertaining to life. Are we adventurous in reaching the lost or are we just a cozy support group for one another? Do we really share God's passion for the lost? Is this church really just people who love one another get along with? Just a cozy support group for you. Or are we about turning the world upside down? Are we about allowing those people who never set foot in this church to turn us upside down? That's church. You see it in the life of Christ. Friends, Jesus has placed us in a great location with great opportunities. And he's saying to us, now go out there and tell everyone about me. I am with you just as I am with Jonah. We see from Jonah's evangelistic success that God never calls anyone and then abandons them in Nineveh. So let us share Jesus confidently. Confidently. William Carey says, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Nice quote. But are we living it? Are we living it? And what do we tell those people who do not know Jesus? What do we tell them? We simply repeat what we've learned today. Just what we've learned this morning. That's it. What do we tell them? We tell them God does not give up. We tell them that God does not give up, but giving up on God is dangerous, my friends. It's dangerous. We tell them that the good news is that those who genuinely repent receive mercy from Jesus. That's the gospel. And it's here in Jonah. May Jesus help us to tell everyone about him. Amen. Amen.